Welcome to the Enneagram 2.0 podcast. I'm Beatrice Chestnut. And I'm Uranio Pais. And today we are talking to our very good friend, Abdul Rahman Abdullah. And he's coming to us from Cairo in Egypt. And he's a close colleague of ours. And he is a type nine. And we are going to be talking to him all about his growth path. Uh, as a, a type nine, a social subtype of type nine. Assalamu alaikum, brother Abdul Rahman. How are you? So I'm so honored being with both of you and with all the audience in this very informative podcast that really um, spreads um, the enneagram that I love, the enneagram of inner work, not the enneagram of fixating people in typology. So I'm so honored <laughs> being with both of you. Right. Yeah. We met you only two years ago, I think, or three years ago. It, it feels like it's 30 years, but um, you run a very beautiful, successful inner development school in Cairo, in Egypt, and that we are very happy to partner with uh, for our CP retreats and workshops. But today it's all about you. And um, we are very happy that you said yes to self-disclose a little bit about your journey, about your story, and not only with the Enneagram, but with inner work as a whole. And this is part of a series that Uranio and I have been doing on a kind of in-depth look into a person of each of the nine types. And so far, we've done type two and type five and type three. And so now we're very pleased to have, have you with us to talk about type nine. Yes. Me too. I'm very, very excited about that. And I hope that um, um, through your questions, I give um, um, uh, some kind of insights about uh, the journey that, um, uh, that I'm very blessed that has been crossed uh, the path with your journey, uh, yes, as you said, uh, it was like January 2019, first time we met. But uh, since that time, since I've been introduced to the Enneagram your way, through your school, through your academy, uh, it brought a huge difference and, and it's like everything made sense. So um, I'm so happy sharing um, the part of the story from my side. Great. Yeah, and you you definitely hear many stories from Abdul Rahman, and you think if he's seventy or eighty years old, but actually he's in his thirties, <laughs> late thirties, yes. and it's incredible. Yes, when I first heard about him, I was thinking he must be in his seventies. So I was quite surprised <laughs> to meet such a young man uh, when we met you. Um, but let's let's get let's get to this because um, I'm sure people are very interested and looking forward to hearing from you. Um, so can you first tell us a little bit about how you came to know about the Enneagram and how you identified yourself as a type nine? So I my knowledge about Enneagram came late uh, because I started my journey uh, in 2001. Definitely my journey started even before that. As a, as a young uh, as a young man in a, in a family and the struggles, but I think it started on this path of inner growth 
in 2001 with NLP and when I studied NLP and then coaching, I found myself I need to leave engineering and go to that dimension of inner growth and discovering the soul. And then Reiki and then family and system and constellations. So I was like, you know, um, eager to learn to all tools, all models that help me as a human being first and then as a social mind to contribute um, to help and um, and um, as a social domain to save humanity. And, uh, and it was so interesting, like when I read my old emails, when I was uh, talking to my teachers, like... Uh, Thank you. You gave me the tools that will help me to save mankind and something like that. And those egoistic <laughs> social dominant uh, words. So I was keen to learn anything that helps me uh, as, uh, as a human to understand myself and to, um, to serve. Uh, but uh, it was mainly about being a savior. And that I, I just realized that later. So, um, only in 2013, I knew the Enneagram. So, so, so 12 years learning other models of inner growth. And then 2013 in May, in, London, in, uh, in Bristol, in England, I was attending a seminar with my teacher in NLP. His name is Dr. Wyatt Woodsmall. And he is my, like, he was like my godfather. I learned NLP coaching even constellations, systemic thinking, um, MBTI, all those tools through him. He's like my, my first and biggest mentor. So he was visiting London and England and Bristol, and he was teaching a seminar for coaches and therapists about Enneagram. So until that moment, I didn't know the Enneagram, and even I didn't do any search on Google to see what's Enneagram. Uh, I was very open to learn it from him. And it was in May 2013 in Bristol. And I remember it was two days workshop and I did not stop crying while he was teaching. And he studied Enneagram with uh, Oscar Ishatsu. He was uh, a, a, a fellow in the Rika school. So he was teaching Enneagram as a tool for transformation and spiritual, uh, spiritual awakening. So it was so deep at that time when I am listening to him and it's like um, 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 uh, um, a veil was, has been released or, or, or um, it's like, it was like a veil that has been um, uh, whipped away from my eyes and I started to see myself, uh, see my actions, see my intentions. Uh, and it was so shocking. And I remember very well that I went sick for some days after that because it was a psychological sickness because it was me processing the information about the nine types. And he said that, that um, 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 for him he was a type five. He's a type five, and he said that um, that uh, when he knew his type, uh, it was like a, a rebirth for him. So uh, and it was like this also for me. Can you repeat his name again? He sounds. It sounds like he's such an important figure. I want to make sure everyone 
uh, here. Yeah, his name is Dr. Dr. Wyatt, Wyatt Woodsmall, W-Y-A-T-T. And then Woodsmall, his family name. And he has a book called People, People, Patterns, Power. Three Ps. People, Patterns, Power. Um, And he's uh, the uh, the NLP um, president of of one of the associations. But he's also teaching NLP from um, a place of transformation, not to get a new car or to manifest what you want, but from a deeper place. Right. So... Were you immediately motivated to learn more about the Enneagram or did you continue to focus on the other models? Definitely, definitely. Uh, I, 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 told, I told him, please, I want to be mentored. Please teach me. And he started to teach me more and more and talk with me more about the Enneagram. And then um, he honored me by co-assisting with his seminars to to just hold the space and then to talk a bit about some examples about the types. And then um, I started to learn more about Enneagram from other schools, um, um, like Conscious Living with Deborah Uten. Um, uh, I learned from um, uh, Narrative Traditions with um, Marion Gilbert. I learned from Russ Hudson. And from Awareness to Action with Mario Socora and, um, and from many, many schools. Um, and my dear friend, Hamid Al-Maghallawi, is, uh, he was a business consultant in the field of awakening. And uh, he studied with me in all those schools. And when he met both of you in the conference in Europe, I think 2018, he said, B and Uranio are teaching completely different level of Enneagram. And for me, I said, really? Or it's just a type three that is just getting excited about something. He said, (laughs) no, no, you will like them so much. And then we started to uh, ask both of you to honor us by coming to Egypt. And in January, 2019, both of you gave uh, a workshop called The Way of the Arrows. It was two days. One one comment before you go on. I'm sorry. But uh, what he told me during the conference was it's certainly not too easy for for you, Urania, to meet other people who teach like you. So you need to meet Abdurrahman because he does. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, you taught us the way of the symbol. And it was a real, real transformational process for me because I said, and actually, I think I, I wrote it to someone, I'm not sure uh, the exact words, but I wrote something like, today, it's my first time to see Enneagram not only as a self-realization or self-understanding model, but as a practical tool for evolution. Wow, that's great. And then, and then I studied with both of you also the um, the, the 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 coaching uh, 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 workshop. I think it was the uh, solutions. And um, when you talked about uh, the type nine and the social nine, it was for me like I re understand 
this again because I studied Enneagram in a way that was bypassing the instincts and the subtypes. So bypassing, it was like the nine. I, I could understand the nine, but I couldn't understand social nine. And at that time, you answered a deep question. It was always in my mind. Why I'm thinking sometimes that I, I, I I'm a two or a three. Mm. It's like it's like I'm, I'm, I'm yes I'm, I'm a nine yes I, I'm sure I'm I'm stable in that but I see a lot of two in me and I see this pride of the two and I see this image uh, uh, status uh, person like a three so maybe this is the arrow movement or what it's what so when you talked about the, the, the social nine and how social nine can be mistyped with three and two and what's about social and social is the counter type. This made huge sense. And it was the first time after the rebirth that with white to the small, it's the first time after, so from 2013 until 2019, like the second rebirth for me, because I felt like I finally landed and it was like a, a missing piece of puzzle that has been found. So now things are making sense and now I know exactly what I need to do. Yes, I, I had a similar experience of having a whole new revolution in self-understanding, finding my subtype uh, many years after knowing my main type. Um, what would you say you understand now about yourself and especially your personality or your ego um, that you didn't understand before you knew you were a nine or a social nine? That the, the look like angel, the angelic look, the angelic <laughs> behavior that I use to be praised of all my life, you're an angel, how amazing you are. You can really control the anger. You can really be calm. You can be really cool. You know, you are a person that I would love to travel with because you don't really make any problem with anybody and you can accommodate everybody. So this angelic behavior it was the first slam on the face. <laughs> <laughs> when, when I knew the type nine and the, it's, it's ego and it's, 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 it's the downside of, of who I am. Right. That it's actually not necessarily all a good thing, that it's also a problem, especially for you. Exactly. What was it like to realize it then? It was like falling from... Um, a skyscraper. Skyscraper? To the, yeah. To the ground. It's like I was in the, um, touching the sky, <laughs> touching the clouds. I'm above. I'm, like the angel uh, you were. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm in a place that everybody really aims to reach. Mm. And then, boom, to the ground, to the reality. <laughs> So it was a big realization. It was a slam on, on the face. It was like a crack in the heart. And that's why I was in tears in 2013 when I knew that nine, what's nine. And, and so, I, so I just realized that I, I was suffering um, 
through wearing the angelic uh, form while there is another um, um, another human being inside locked jailed present inside and he's not even courageous to ask for his own needs mm, that's really clear yeah what do you think has helped you the most to break away from those patterns of being the angel the good guy the guy who makes life easier for everyone around him because I can imagine that's hard because you get a lot of praise and rewards for that, for your ego patterns in themselves. So what has helped you to break away from that? Maybe can you even give us some examples of how you may have shifted after you had that realization? So it started in 2011, unconsciously before knowing the Enneagram. So when I knew the Enneagram, I was like in... 200 Hawkins, which is the, 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 the place between point one and point two. And but before that, David I, Hawk, that's the David Hawkins levels of consciousness, right? Yes. Because I know yes. you study that as I do. And um, so 200 is thought of as the level of integrity. Below 200, you're more unconscious than conscious. Exactly. Over 200, you're more, your center of gravity shifts to being more conscious than conscious, but just barely. <laughs> Exactly. And maybe below 200, maybe it's like I'm totally run by the type and subtype. It's like I'm fully in the animal soul. So what started to wake me up from that uh, was two years before the, knowing the Enneagram. And, and maybe that's why when I studied Enneagram, it was easier for me from the first session to know my type because I already in the 200, so I can see the passion the sloth. Mm -hmm. So what happened is in 2011 is the uh, revolution in Egypt. And it's like I was on a daily basis in conflicts with others and conflicts about opinions and, and I need to stand and take a position and not mediate. So it was like environmentally, culturally, something was happening that not only waking me up, it was waking everybody not only to ask for rights or needs, but also to grow spiritually. So I'm not saying that uh, revolution is always good, but I say that, that this systemic dynamic brought a lot of goodness to everyone to shake the comfort zone. So it was so much uh, uh, a helping tool for me to wake up and to see that I need to confront and say my opinion and say, say what I see and um, and to go to conflicts and stay and not run away. All of that I understood later after studying Enneagram, but before I didn't know that. And, 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 and that described to me why when I was going to any conflict, I was feeling like shaking my hands or my feet. It was like I was, I was, I used to say I'm nervous because it's stressful but i didn't know that this is the type that i am going against so that's why this kind of, these fears instead of inside me that i will not be accepted there's a separation there is pain there is conflict this is bigger than me so this is number one and then number two when i studied enneagram 
uh, first time in 2013, um, the first inner work that I did is uh, after the commendation of my teacher, Dr. White at that time is speaking honestly my opinions and be okay to go to conflicts. And it was that at that time, it was something that um, I cannot say easy, but uh, it was really the right thing um, that I'm ready to do, which is confronting, take your phone, see who is a person that you have unfinished business, business with and go and talk to this person. Don't keep losing your energy through unfinished businesses that you are fearing to cut the relationship and something like that. And it was like, this is the inertia that I got. But the second stage, which is the second rebirth, which is in 2019 with both of you, it was this clear map that started by building boundaries. I didn't understand the word boundaries. And looking for my needs and ask for them. So it's not only about opinions, it's about my needs. And it was like this painful question, what are your needs in marriage? What are your needs with your family? What are your needs from your friends? And this is, this was a real painful question. What are my needs? And then it went to something else, which is, um, understanding the ego of the social line with SP repressed, which is makes me like playing God. And this was another slam on the face. Like, oh, I didn't understand. So I thought, I thought that it is pure service, but it was real. Uh, it was a, it was a realization of a deep ego. A, a dirty, ugly intention behind, which is playing God on earth. I don't have needs and I will be there for you to contribute all my resources, my time, my energy, my money to save you. So, um, um, and I cannot say that I'm over those fixations and or over those patterns, but I can see that I've shifted a lot um, because when I look back, I see a different human being who used to live different lifestyle, life pattern. But I am aware that I have still a lot to face. And I want to say just a couple of things about what you do so that I think people will get an even clearer sense of some of what you're talking about. And that is you are... Uh, the leader and the head teacher of a self-development school in Egypt called the Field of Awakening. Uh, and so I can imagine get it, coming to terms with the idea that all your motives aren't for the greater good, to help teach people and transform them and support them. On the one hand, that's a big thing to realize that, especially as a nine, because nines tend to be so so modest and supportive of others and friendly and kind and warm um, i can imagine finding that there are different ulterior motives underneath was a big thing and also what you said about boundaries i wanted to highlight that because 
um, it's, it's very difficult for nines to understand what boundaries are and to almost have the self-respect enough to make boundaries and which might mean saying no or not being the person who helps everyone uh, or making time for yourself or speaking more what you need and want. And so I can imagine, especially in the role that you play in your world and in what you do, um, it, it was especially challenging to get in touch with all that you're talking about that you got in touch with. Yes. So besides that, the, 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 the role of teacher and healer, which is always you need to be available to your clients and also the cultural issue, which is in Egypt, um, there's something, an add-on, I think in many countries, like the, the um, uh, I think also in Latin America and other Arab countries, it's so uh, uh, so common that the man, the first son in the family, he carries the, uh, uh, the uh, burdens of the whole family, the whole problems come to him and he should fix or work on them or provide help for so my brothers and sisters who are younger than me they are my children they are not my they are not equal they are wow so and and and, and on the culture thing also in egypt it's impolite because egypt i think she it's a, a social uh, dominant country with sp repressed so saying no to others it's impolite and you will be judged badly so the social line component plus the cultural component plus the role of the teacher and therapist component bring it all together to make it hard for the ego of the social line to uh, learn boundaries. Hi, if you're enjoying the depth of knowledge offered in this podcast, you might want to stay in touch with us. B and Wadanyu offer professional Enneagram training, personal development courses, self-guided online courses, and they even have a membership platform with over 100 hours of content. Head to cpenneagram.com slash podcast to learn more. Now, Abdurrahman, I would like to ask you uh, to do your best to share with our friends listening to you now, what is sloth? from your experience, many aspects or facets of that, if you want. What is this passion for type nine called sloth? It's for me, a very somatic feeling in my body, very somatic sensation that when I care about you and your needs, my body is full of energy. And when I try to think of me, to help me, to see my needs, I feel like all my body is numb. All my body is not helping me to not reach out for getting my needs or doing anything about me. So it was like there is an energy flow always there. And when I think of me, I sleep. It's like the energy and, flows away from you when you think of yourself or it's, exa- it's not exactly. there as opposed it, to feeling energized when you're in service of someone else. Exactly. And it is asleep. I feel sleep. It's energetic, spiritual and physical. 
So energetic, I feel like I don't feel the energy. Spiritual, like I really sleep, like I'm, I'm in totally in the personality. And physically, so I will meditate now. I sleep. I need to do something for me. I sleep and don't, don't do. But I have time, energy, resources to do it for you. Uh, so it was this um, somatic experience of the energy is there as long as you are outside. And the energy runs away. You don't have it. When I try, even try to think of me, to sit and write about me, to ask me a simple question like, what are your needs? To meditate, to breathe. It's this somatic experience. And, um, and, 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 and it was really, uh, this definition helped me to calibrate myself and to calibrate this loss sloth in my daily life and to to really observe it in a in a very somatic way mm -hmm. and what do you now see that sloth does to your feelings in general it is the um, strongest drug ever on earth that dissociate me from my emotions that numb the feeling it's like you know, as it said in the Enneagram, narcotization, it's like hash or something. It's, I never tried hash, so I don't know how, but people say it, it is like you are really, you are really not in touch with your true feelings. You are in fake feeling of being okay. Uh, uh, but Rahman, you are angry. No, I'm not angry. I'm okay. You are sad. I'm not sad. I'm very okay. Why you want me to be to be sad? I'm okay. I I manage well my emotions. I'm okay with whatever. And this is this is the trap that 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 made me thought that I'm an angel. I'm evolved. I'm above the sky. I am. <laughs> I'm in. A, I'm the in the place that people uh, look up for. A one who managed his emotions. And it, I discovered that I managed my emotions by not managing them. <laughs> and then after some change, what happens then on that regard? Uh, big, big shift. Like uh, I cry on a daily basis now. <laughs> I cry. <laughs> and um, I feel anger when it's needed. And I feel fear. Fear is still a bit difficult, but as I feel fear. I can say I'm more in touch with the full spectrum of life, with the ebb and flow, with the up and down, um, not uh, narcotized, fixated in one delusional place, which is I'm okay or good. No, I'm good, I'm bad, I'm okay, I'm, I'm tense. I'm angry, I'm fearful, I'm sad, and I feel, and that brought deeper joy to my heart. So I moved from this fake okayness that I used to be there and was hiding a deep depression, emptiness, feeling 
lost to a deeper, genuine feelings of joy. Yes, I, I think it's an important thing for people to know who may unconsciously avoid their feelings in different ways. And of course, many types do that to know that when you really engage your emotions, it can be challenging. And yet the payoff is having access to the good emotions as well as the difficult ones like joy, as you're saying. Can you tell us anything about how you were able, like some of the things that you did uh, or struggled with, or you know, in, what did you do to make that shift from being more ruled by sloth, losing energy, maybe being sort of hypnotized by your own uh, angelic nature and, and the people who may be in your world or extended family or school that may have in some ways, you know, encouraged you to stay that way, you know, to be the savior or to be the healer or to be the guy who was going to fix all their problems. Um, given that I can imagine it was hard to go against that. What are some of the things you did to shift from being able to be in touch with more emotions, being able to be in touch with anger, being able to make boundaries and include yourself in the picture? Okay. Uh, I can give some practical examples. So um, in the field of awakening, you both visited and honored our place by your uh, presence. So I have um, um, an office on the second floor and that office was like um, uh, an open door for any employee, for any student, for any client to come and enter at any time. Even they don't knock the door. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I remember that the first thing I did when I met both of you in 2019, that I put a lock on the door. <laughs> That is because a great even, example. Be, be, because <laughs> when, I, when I close the door, people still open it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and this is also part of the cultural difference. So I think yeah. in, in Europe, this Egypt. is... Right. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, you, maybe you have to put a sign, do not disturb a nine I did it. inside. I, did it. <laughs> I, I, I put a, a sign that can flip, that you can knock or you, or you should not knock. Mm -hmm. People just neglect it. <laughs> and just open the door. So I put a lock and then people start to be sad that or mad because they knocked the door and they tried to open the door and the door was closed and they know that I'm inside. So as if it's not a right for me to just sit in my office to rest or to read or to have a, a private conversation that's very important. So um, uh, then second thing, um, I got um, um, a personal assistant. And I give her my telephone and the WhatsApp. And I blocked myself from direct contact with people. And I only have a phone that can talk to the family and, and the chosen friends. So I will, and I will choose who I want my needs to bond and connect with, not open, they, they call it, you know, um, the, my personal assistant, she said, how did you live with this phone? It's like hundreds <laughs> of messages, hundreds of messages. This is not, um, this is not a, um, an exaggeration. It's truth. Hundreds of messages every day and things that 
I used to be busy all the time doing that. So um, uh, I got a, like, like a buffer, somebody is in between. And I confess now, it was not easy. I, because it felt for my ego at that time, it's like taking my power away and blocking me. And, and it didn't feel good to do that. I feel like I'm betraying my people. I'm yes. betraying others. I'm letting them down. So one of the things also that I did is because I'm self-preservation repressed. So I started to sit with my accountants and know exactly how much I get and how much I spend because I didn't know. <laughs> I really didn't know. Until 2019, wow. I didn't know how much I get and how much I spend. I don't know. And I did like um, negotiations with people that I support that I can't pay that amount of money and I need really to make it less. And actually, I, I did it. Um, I, I paid, I started to pay half of what I used to pay because there are needs in my life I cannot fulfill because a lot of my money is going to other resources that I'm just supporting and they can support themselves. Okay. Um, one more thing, as you said, my place called the field of awakening and I discovered it's coming from the ego. Although it's awakening and the field, but the name which was um, touching my heart at that time, I realized it's partially it's true Part is true because the field of awakening and everybody comes, he feels like a field. But on the other hand, it was the nine in me who wants to hide and not show up. So it, there is no Abdul Rahman in the picture. And I used to judge, I used to judge anybody who calls his academy by his name. So I can judge Chestnut Pies. Why Chestnut Pies? You can just call it any spiritual name, you are calling it by your name. And, and, and that made me realize my shadows, the shadows of the nine. So one of the things that I did is I established a new project in the field of awakening called Abdul Rahman Abdullah. And it's a website that is having my teachings recorded, available online for people. And they will go to Abdul Rahman Abdullah. And I I remember now while talking to both of you, it felt when I was choosing the, this name on um, uh, one of the websites to choose domain name, I felt shame. I didn't feel good. It felt so bad. It felt ugly. It felt, no, you should not do this. You are a bad person. Uh, and when I took uh, like um, a photo session with a professional photographer, she used to tell me, please smile. You have a very beautiful smile. I know you very well, but why don't smile? And I realized it's a contraction inside me to be a star or to be seen or to be in the front line, not, hid, not hiding before, not hiding behind the school and other teachers and other things. And that speaks a little bit to the fixation of indolence for nines. I think these are great, great examples. 
And what do you think after you know so many years, two decades observing yourself and almost a decade working on yourself with the Enneagram, what what do you think are type nine tendencies that not all people understand that are important for our listeners to know? As much as type nine looks gentle, kind, warm, accommodating, saying yes to everything you say, um, this is not helping you in the relationship and not helping your your partner or the loved one who is a type nine. Um, as long as you think it's a, the perfect relationship, the perfect partner in business or in life or in love, um, because we are always in harmony and uh, everything is okay, and we have only some kind of eruptions of anger every now and then, my recommendation is it's time to change this mindset because this will not serve you or the partner or the friend that's type 9. The other thing that I would like to share about type 9 is type 9 is really, really, really finding big difficulty, huge difficulty to speak about what he really needs and what he really feels. So as much as we all studied and know and hear about don't take a yes from a nine as a yes <laughs> because it might be something else. As long as we say it from a type nine to all of you, it's a secret. I think I never meant a one yes when I was wow. in personality. It's even, it, it's always yes, but, but the but is repressed. Hidden, yeah. Hidden. So a yes for the nine and a yes tomorrow and a yes next week and a yes next month will bring a monster, a hulk later. So it's better to help yourself and help your partner or your friend by emphasizing on bringing the other but, the hidden but that is hidden behind the yes. One more thing also that I would like to share about the nine is when nine does not look to his needs, he's not an angel. He's not a good person. Mm. He's not evolved. He's not an angel. As long as you see the nine as an angel and evolved, so he means that he's really fixated. And the, the more you see the nine as a chaotic person, um, uh, as a person who is really uh, selfish or a person who is really um, uh, seeing only himself, as much as it's a signs of awakening that um, started to emerge in that nine. And I want to say that, um, yes, nines look very stubborn. Uh, uh, but stubbornness does not mean that they are stubborn to get their needs. It's an, uh, it's an egoistic stubbornness. So when the nine, because my father used to tell me 
all my life, and also my mother. The, my father and my mother did not agree on many things, but one of the very few things that they agreed on that I'm a, that that they suffered a lot raising me up. <laughs> Even though they raised an angel. <laughs> yeah, because they said you are angel outside the home and inside the home you are a pain in the ass. <laughs> That might be a metaphor for what we sometimes hear from from nines, which is there is an inner beast inside nines. Like exactly, uh, don't really trust that we are just peace and love. Exactly. So in the outside there is an angel, but inside there is a very stubborn child that always say no, and this stubbornness does not come from me being in touch with my needs. No, it's coming from rejection to any authority above me that wants me to follow certain rules or guidelines. So I will be stubborn to it, not because I have a very clarified, well-known need. So when you see me stubborn as a nine, don't think that I'm evolved. No, yes. it's not yet. And it's a, it's a, but it's a quiet resistance to authority or authoritarian people, right? Because it's not coming out and saying no or having the conflict. It's the, it's the stubbornness of being hard to move and, and maybe not saying anything, but like you saying, being uh, re resistant, let's say, in a pass in a more passive way. Um, given all that, can you tell us what secret wishes you have as a nine? Uh, from personality level? Yeah, let's say as, as from personality level or even as you grow, like things that you've got in touch with that you really want or wish for that maybe you still haven't been able to achieve or maybe you have been. Yeah, uh, the, the, um, the secret wish that I've always wished is to find a person who can hold me, to be held, to be held by a group, to be held by a partner, to be held by a friend. And what I mean by being held is there is a lot of chaos inside. Outside there is always peace, but there's a lot of chaos and pain and anger and turmoil inside. And I don't feel safe to bring this turmoil outside because there is a big fear of separation that can happen after showing this turmoil. So the need to be held, the need to be held was this need, I didn't understand why I want being to be held, but I, I understood later. It's like I want to crack this shell of peace and to bring this um, um, turmoil storms outside and and making and being sure that you will hold me and you will not separate from me it takes different forms but it's all about being held so it's like uh, accept me when i'm angry or hold me when you see me tired and not being able to help you or um, or, or, or or hold me or or uh, or stay with me when I'm in conflict with you and I just share different mindset or opinion. It takes different forms, but on that ladder of growth, while they take different forms, the root is one, which is being held. 
you know, that makes a lot of sense given that um, we sometimes uh, teach the, uh, the connection between the Enneagram types and object relations theory, which is a theory of psychological development that talks about core needs and core stages uh, in early childhood development. And the body types really have a need to feel held during an early stage of development that has to do with making that transition from being at one with the mother early, you know, in the womb. And then shortly after birth, when the baby still has that sense of being uh, in a state of unity and in some ways nine type nine reflects a kind of desire for unity or union or harmony with others. Uh, but the tension between being truly connected with another person and then what the child needs to do early on, which is separate out and become their own individual person. Uh, I think for all of us, that can be a difficult transition. How do you feel connected and like you belong, but still your own person with your own ability to make boundaries and and know what you want and get what you need in the world. Mm. Uh, and I think this is particularly poignant for nines. And so I really appreciate the way you say that. And given what you've said about being a healer and a teacher in your community and being the oldest son in the family, um, I can imagine there was a way that at, both in terms of the personality type of type nine and all of those roles you play in your life, there was a lot of people wanting you to hold them. Um, and uh, I think especially for the social nine, and we sometimes say that social dominance, people who have the social dominant instinct are energetically promiscuous, meaning they give away their energy a lot uh, for the group or the collective or to and other mix people. mix up with other people's energy. And mix up with other people's energy. And, and what they often need to do is be able to utilize their energy more for themselves and be more discerning about who they give their energy to. Um, given all that, I think it's very um, important and poignant and profound that you have this wish to be held, to, to have someone who can match you and accept you. And like you're saying, hold you in all the anger or chaos or pain that you may need to have and let you know that you're still connected and supported uh, even if you feel whatever you might need to feel or do whatever you True. might need to do as a separate being. True. Yeah. One yeah. thing also that I um, um, can say about a wish of, for, for the nine that came to me while you are uh, giving this beautiful uh, except, uh, explanation, uh, but I think it's, it's coming from uh, the personality, and maybe it's good to share it with others. Is I the nine, and I think it's not only with me; it's about the nines. Um, it's the secret wish that you do me my needs instead of me asking it for myself. Yeah. So as if I'm uh, always thinking about you and your needs and I'm always going to one or two um, um, extra miles for you, uh, my wish always that you do the same with me while I'm not saying that. 
<laughs> right. We sometimes say this for choose. It's very good to know that that's something that applies for nine. So, Abdurrahman, I think that during this interview, you've already shared lots of good hints for other fellow nines. And but I wonder if there are there is something else that you could share, not only in what they can do to boost their growth, but perhaps even mainly what they shouldn't do. What to watch out for, what to avoid doing. Avoid doing. Um, forgetting yourself. And what I mean by forgetting yourself is putting higher priority for others over yourself. So I remember that anytime I know a need in me, like going to a doctor or checking up on my um, um, my checking up something related to my health or or I need to do something like prepare a new training and this conflicts with a priority for somebody else that he needs or she needs help I think this also for the social mind I always put the priority for the other above me and when I'm going to um, a com uh, and when I go to a negotiation with somebody about any financial deal, any contract, I always put the priority of the other and to be satisfied over my own priority to be satisfied in this deal. And when I discuss with a partner about any family issue, I always think of to make her satisfied from this conversation more than me being satisfied in this conversation. So the biggest thing to watch out is stop considering to be the good accommodator to other people's needs over yourself and show up. Um, I've heard you say in the past that nines sometimes have a hard time um, understanding self-love in a way that is non-distorted. Yes. Self-love is something that every time I talk about or teach or I hear in a teaching from a teacher, I always get a deep sensation inside me uh, of a split. There's like two of me. One side of me is really feeling like nourishment. Like there's something beautiful is waking up. And there's another feeling so big also is resisting resisting this word, resisting this energy of self-love. As if it was what? Instead of self-love. As if it's pride, as if it's bad, as if it's selfishness, as if it's, it is something that will make me separate from people, separate from life, as if it's connected to like deep level of, of, um, of being um, 
guilty in a way as if when I do the time to self-love, I feel guilty like I should be looking outside instead of inside. So self-love, which means for me right now to have a deep capacity to include the whole of me, including my anger, including my guilt, including my shame, including my dysfunctionality, including my failures, to having this capacity to hold me and to expand, to include all of me, I know it and I have it, but I always practice it for the others. So what the nines should not do and stop doing is practicing this capacity only outside and start to practice it inside beside practicing outside. So practicing it inside, inwardly, is what's really made huge difference. So. I said one time to a fellow nine who was in struggle because of the, the, the slot was so much and indolence was so much in control. I said, like, if there is one sacred practice for us nines we must do is self-love. It, the, 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 the biggest sacred practice, which is I... So love, so love for me means the capacity in the heart to include what is without judgment, without exclusion. So the capacity in my heart to include all of me without judging me, without excluding any of me, including my anger, my fear, my sadness, my resistance, so it sounds like what you're saying is there's both a resistance to and a deep need for nines to really learn to love themselves, to accept yeah. themselves, to yeah. put the same kind of attention and care toward themselves that they put toward others. Yes. And it seems to me that usually in different societies, um, things that nines do out of ego are valued and therefore there is an extra um, source of doubt on going that way the way that inner work points out for nines on the Enneagram which is focus more, more on yourself it's not well seen socially and perhaps it makes it more difficult for nines to to do the work Exactly. So, for example, um, usually our students who uh, um, um, coming from a type 8, we usually hear very positive stuff from their family, from their relatives, from their friends about how they become more vulnerable, more including, mm. more, um, uh, more patient. But usually the feedback comes from the type 9 and it happened to me and it happened to all the nines that are doing amazing, good inner work that people always, always say, you are becoming a worse person. Selfish. 
Yes. So you used to yeah. be a very good person. Now you are a bad person. Yeah. So we have to really let nines know that if you're getting that feedback, that's actually a good thing. It's a mark of doing really excellent inner work if people start to complain about you. Uh, because the ego pattern is to be someone people don't complain about and to over-adapt to everyone else. Now, you've said a lot about relationships and um, your relationships in the course of this interview, but are there any other relationship patterns that you haven't touched on yet that might be good for people to understand about the type nine if they're in relationship with a nine? either things nines do or ways nines need to grow in relationship and so how people can support nines. I think the key word for us type nines in relationships is healthy conflict is better than fake harmony. <laughs> I love it. And and by this, we can stand strong, relaxed, in conflicts. Stay in conflicts. Stay in conflicts and don't run away is a key factor in relationships. And until now, I struggle in this. Yes, I did good improvement, but I see the nine in me. I see the contraction in me to make a phone call that will bring conflict or to meet a person that will bring conflict or to talk with somebody who is angry at me or even to ask my needs that will bring conflict in a relationship and yet if you don't um, say things that are difficult in relationships like have the difficult conversations some other bad things can happen and perhaps you have noticed that uh, over time yes i noticed that the hard way in my life that the, the relationships a wife or a friend or a business partner when i do the good things that the personality of type nine does like being an angel having no needs uh, compromise harmonize uh, narcotize all the icing that mm -hmm. we do, what happens is um, that, uh, and all of that are coming from a big fear of the pain of separation. And what happens is that all those relationships, all of them, not single one, passed. I've separated from them or they separated from me in a very aggressive, painful way. And with a lot of criticism and judgment on me that I'm not understanding or I'm a bad person. So all the things that I feared of, uh, that I feared of and I sabotaged and repressed and narcotized my needs in order not to be badly judged, they came later in a very aggressive, bad way. So yeah. in relationships, as long as I um, was pushing away conflicts, as if they were like very minimal, very many stones, mm -hmm. and I was pushing those many stones 
away, away until they become a mountain that fall on my head. <laughs> and 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 I could in a way that I cannot deal with. Whether in the beginning they were like many stones that yes, they are stone, they are hard, but they are manageable. They can be faced. So the mantra I use when I am in a conflict in the relationship right now is now rather than later. <laughs> That's a good one. Simple, effective. Now, now in a manageable way as opposed to yes. later in a catastrophic way, potentially. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, if we may ask you, if you want to share with us, uh, what is your next challenge on your growth path? Something that you're working on yourself right now? Something you haven't yet fully addressed? So the list is still big, but on the top of that list is being able to stay in my heart without losing the heart-to-heart connection with people while conflict. While in conflict. So it's like being fully with the other while being fully with yourself in situations that are not the most comfortable ones for you. Exactly. So I used to be with the other and then I moved to be with myself in an aggressive way like, me first, me first. So, and that, it's like the pendulum movement to the other side and yeah. cutting me from being considerate to the other and being really in, in, in contact. So being in fully in my heart while not losing the connection I genuinely and naturally have with the other in conflicts and bad times and, 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 and discomfortable times. Um, the second thing um, that I still have is um, in my mind, I still have this, what you call in CP Academy, the idealization in the social life, which when I see somebody doing something good or someone who is really acting in a good way, in my, according to my judgments, I, my mind, put this person high as if he or she has a quality that I don't have, which is part of the indolence, which is putting more importance on the other over myself or seeing the good qualities in the other and not seeing it inside myself. I still observe it and I still find it many times like in that teacher or in that coach or in that wife or in that husband. So I always see like the good quality outside. And when I see it, I just try to remind myself. And sometimes I succeed. Sometimes it stays for some time. Like what I see outside is already inherited in me. But the ego of the nine is excluding it. A third thing is vulnerability. Vulnerability for me is very fearful quality because being vulnerable means that I will not be loved. I will not be held. I will be a very, very um, messed up human being like everybody else. So I will not 
receive love from being contained, accommodating to everybody around. So as if it's like a trade, as long as I'm being able to be strong, holding, accommodating human being, I deserve love. But when I fail in that, and I'm actually shaking from inside like you, I'm facing difficulty like you, I'm fucked up like you, as if when I'm in that place and showing it up, I will not receive from the other what I am expecting or what I'm really needing. And I was hearing Brene Brown in her one of her talks. Uh, I love this woman. And she was saying that how many of you wants to dare greatly and to be vulnerable? So everybody in the room raised the hand. And then she said, how many of you can be vulnerable to ask for his needs and then only maybe one quarter of the room raised the hand <laughs> so and then she said every time when you ask your needs you judge yourself make sure that you are judging others while giving them needs their needs and this was big for me this was like another slap on the face like look to your ego it's not pure service you are feeding the ego while serving so um, being vulnerable and allow myself to be um, to be without anything um, is the third um, thing on the path is there Anything else that we haven't asked about or anything else that you think would be good for people to know about the type nine growth path that we haven't covered yet that you want to share as we close out this conversation? I believe taking time away from people and sitting quietly, silently with the self and having inner conversations, long conversations with the self, um, without external distractions. Mm -hmm. I remember that the first time I could successfully manage to do isolation was after uh, meeting both of you in 2019. I had many attempts before that. And maybe after six hours, 12 hours, I cannot continue. But since I met both of you, I could really manage um, three days and more being co completely silent, completely on myself, completely without uh, allowing external distractions. And me is the center of my attention. Um, another thing that helped me a lot is uh, journaling and taking track of what's happening inside me. And not only my dreams, but also my thoughts, my conflicts, my questions to myself. And journaling was one of the biggest tools that helped me to realize a lot of unfinished businesses inside me, a lot of burdens inside me, a lot of needs inside me that were not, uh, that were not known to me, but repressed. I love, what you, I love what you're saying because 
it's like as a nine, you need to turn inward and get to know yourself, like spend time with yourself, spend time focusing on what's going on inside without your attention leaving you and going somewhere else, uh, writing about what, what you're thinking about and feeling, uh, being physically separate alone just with yourself. I think that's a beautiful, a beautiful tip for, for people to understand about the type nine experience. Yeah. One more thing. Uh, I don't know how to say it, but, um, It was a deep realization in me after um, um, after long-term uh, dysfunctional relationships or problems with close people or challenges in my career. I discovered that my body was always smart to give me clues and guidance, but the nine in me, the personality in me, was playing another role of narcotizing that and making distortions. And instead of that, I was asking other people of, mm. what do you think what I should do? Or what do you think what's the best thing to do here? Uh, I asked my mother about my relationship with my partner. I asked another consultant <laughs> about what I need to do in my uh, career. And my body was giving me the signs since early, early time, and I was not, um, uh, I was not conscious enough, awake enough, to stay in that inner con communication with the body, to get the clue and take the next step, and then another, another clue, and then next step. So, I can say to my fellow nines that our bodies are extremely intelligent, very instinctive. We know a lot in our bodies, but we are very busy with the outside thinking like other opinions outside are more important than our opinions and uh, harmonizing with others are more important than harmonizing from within and um, fulfilling other people's needs are more important than seeing and knowing our needs that this put like a distraction from listening to those clues and make magical transformations in our lives through them Beautiful. Yeah, I know. We... I know that one of the things that Uranio's taught me that I see him doing all the time that I love is when we work with people, he'll ask them a question and he'll say, "Don't answer with your head. Let your body answer." Uh, and I think mm. nines can sometimes be disconnected from their bodies, uh, but I I love what you're saying because it's a, an important thing for nines to do to realize how much wisdom is in their body and to, to be able to reconnect. You know, it's like, it's like as much as this wisdom is so big in the body, as much as the ego is successfully disconnected us from this treasure. Yeah. But you don't cease to do that with other people. You, you don't do that only with yourself. So sometimes mm. we teach that for instance, nine is the center of the body types and the triad, the instinctual triad. They use the instinctual energy, which is the dominant one, for everything but for themselves. 
Exactly. And similar things happen with threes and sixes in their respective triads. Correct. But this is something Correct. for I another agree. podcast. I think you spoke beautifully about that. Um, but I, 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 my, my heart asks us. Uh, but I would like to ask you a final question before we close this, uh, because you are nine. Can you close with? Uh, some sharing of something really beautiful about nines when they grow and about yourself as you grow. I think it's a good task for you to own good things about you. Since long time, I do a meditation called Who Am I? And it's by asking a question, who am I? And then I wait for the answers. And then the answers come like, I'm Abdurrahman, I'm Egyptian, I'm Muslim, I'm blah, 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 like that. Until this answer starts to expand, to understand the truth of who I am, which is bigger than this shape, this form, this personality. So I think the most, one of the most amazing things that happened with me that I can in a vulnerable way share with both of you and with your own audience because it's, some, it's not easy for me to share something like that. So um, after practicing what the social mind should do to wake up from uh, his patterns, um, when I start to, uh, to ask this question, who am I? I started to experience another world inside me that I was blocked from. And last Ramadan, it was in May, I think the 5th of May or 6th of May, I was in isolation and I asked this question, who am I? And then I received a beautiful answer and it was a beautiful moment that I would love to share with both of you and with all your audience. It came this answer from inside, outside, like I don't know from where this answer came. It came and what in this universe is not you? So in my early ages, I was playing nine to experience unity, but I discovered that more than nine in me makes me more separate from me and then from the whole universe. But with doing the difficult inner work, which is focusing on me, connecting to me, starting to relating to me, I found me, but not only me, I found also the bigger universe. That's really beautiful, Abdurrahman, and we're so grateful to you for sharing so deeply with us and really helping people understand uh, the type nine in terms of 
the fullness of the growth path that they can take when they really dedicate themselves to the journey in the way you have. Thank you. Yes. Shukran, brother. Thank you for both of you for this interview. And I'm so delighted by that. And, uh, and, um, I'm big fan of both of you and um, and all the students in the field of awakening in Egypt. All of them are sharing with me the same deep gratitude to the wisdom that both of you bring to our lives. Thank you. It's a deep pleasure to be your friend and your colleague and to be with you on this path. It's time for our top five. What is our top five today, B? Well, as we do every time when we talk to a friend who is on the path, we will talk about the top five things we appreciate most about type nine. When they do inner work, right? They do inner work, exactly. So these are not ordinary, nice things that we see in all nines who are in more coming from personality. These are more things that unfold for nines only when they do inner work. Yes, that's right. We're going to talk about things we appreciate when we think about the type nines in our lives who are really on an inner growth path and are really changing and growing uh, through doing the work. And these are the five, the top five things we really notice and uh, admire about them. Yeah, when we do this kind of top five, I remember some very dear students and how I got inspired by them during retreats and workshops when they were there in that beautiful place in a higher level of being. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So what is your number five, B? So my number five is that they type nines who are really doing their work are less passive aggressive and more straightforward. It's like they're very honest and they really just tell you what they're thinking or they tell you what bothers them. Uh, they don't hold on to it and get stubborn mm. as much. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my number, my number five is that focus and very big energy that they have when they are more developed nines. Uh, you know, that sloth at times make them be de uh, depleted of energy at times when they're trying to do for themselves or trying to initiate something new. Uh, but when nines are really doing the work, then you see that big and inspiring energy and very focused on doing that one thing that really matters. That's a good one. That's a good one. So what's your number four? You know, <clears throat> to me, it feels really good when some dear nines in my life uh, uh, value themselves at last. When I see them valuing themselves, I feel so good. Because, you know, when you love someone who's a nine and you see that nine not doing for themselves, it feels disrespectful, not only for the person, but for myself in the love I have for them. So it feels really good to see them 
not shine out or not putting themselves second or last. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. And I won't correct your English at the moment, so we can move on. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. Mm, okay. I can't imagine what was wrong there. Okay. <laughs> okay. Number three is... No, wait. I haven't done my four yet. Um, so number four... And I won't me... correct you for that. No. <laughs> you won't correct my math, my addition. <laughs> okay. So number four is... They show who they are more as individuals. I think sometimes when nines aren't so advanced on the path, they they seek to blend in more and you don't really see who they really are. And so the people that I'm thinking of who I know that are nines doing their work, it's like they're often surprising. They, they say things that uh, they say and do things that are just really unique to them that they may not do when they're trying to blend in earlier in their inner growth journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true. Well, my number three is that they become really decisive. I mean, sharp in what they are doing. And no matter what, like uh, if it includes confronting someone, they still do it. And I really like that after, you know, a lot of time usually seeing nines not do that. Yes. Yeah, that's that's a good one. I, I'm, I'm thinking our lists are very complementary. I'm liking yes. the things you're saying. Yes. They're not things that are on my list, but I think but I'm agreeing yeah. with you. But they also are interconnected in a way. And, and it will give us 10 probably things that we love about <laughs> nines that are doing their work. Beautiful. So what is your third? So my third is that they tend to be very funny and humorous. Mm. And this is because I think they say more what they're really thinking. Uh, a lot of times <laughs> nines will have uh, funny or angry or uh, unique perspectives on things. And they don't say it because they don't want to make waves or they want to maintain harmony and comfort. And so they might not say what they're really thinking, but when nines do the work, they say more things that kind of catch your attention that are often very humorous because uh, they're just saying it. And sometimes it's unexpected, but uh, they often have uh, their own special take on things and they just say it out and yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's, it's refreshing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So Do what's you your number? Okay, I go first. So my number two is curious. I'll try to explain it. It's a bit complex, but my number two is size. It's what what is perceived as being the type nine's size when they they really do inner work. And what I mean by this is that they grow bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And sometimes I feel it's limitless. Um, and I'm talking, of course, about the energy field around them. I'm talking about what we sometimes call the subtle bodies. And also, you just sense how much power that individual soul has. It's, it's incomparable, in my view. It's like uh, nines in personality try to be less. And that is because, in essence, they are more. And it doesn't mean that they are better. 
or superior. It's just that they are bigger in energy, in, in a few capacities. And sometimes I say that from a spiritual perspective, it's like nines come from a land of giants. There is this, uh, this giant spiritual presence in front of you when nines have truly done the work. And it, it amazes me. It, it's something difficult to explain and uh, really, really inspiring. Good one. Um, and I do think some people might think that bigger is better, but I hope they also heard that that's not what you're saying. Yes. So my number two is that they tend to be assertive. Mm -hmm. And of course, this comes from the fact that they're less afraid to express anger more directly. And so I sort of expressing anger and being assertive are kind of one in the same here. Uh, yeah. And I find that when nines get in touch with their anger, it's it's not like they blow people out of the water like they might fear they're going to if they were more in touch with anger. It's more like they find a really good balance between respecting and supporting others and being able to engage in conflict, being able to say what boundaries they need or what, what makes them angry or just assert their their desires or assert their opinions in a much more clear way. And so it's this, I find nines who are doing work are assertive in the best possible way. It's like an integration of anger in, in an integration of more access to uh, what they're, what's going on inside and ability to share that with others around them. Yeah, I think you've just explained a bit more all that I meant behind my number three, that they become decisive. Yeah. Right. So number one, now, will you say yours or should I? Sure, I can say mine. Um, my number one is that nines, when they really do they work, their work become truly powerful. Uh, and it's really lovely to see because it's a kind of power that is deeply rooted in knowing themselves more and an ability to be angry and, and speak their truth. Uh, but, and, but there's not a lot of ego behind it. Um, now, we often say the nine ego is a little surprising because the ego means when nines are an ego, they try to blend in and they don't say what they think and they, they look too modest or too humble. Uh, but I'm, I'm saying this in a different way, and that is their power, they can be disruptors. They can speak out and do the right thing. They can uh, express their opinions in a way that convinces people, not from a place of self-aggrandizement or wanting to have power in a self-interested, corrupt way, but more in a way of bringing their wisdom to the world, bringing their unique point of view to the world, um, bringing their unique blend of a kind of deep caring about connecting with others and being there for others and being in harmony with others together with a willingness to, to disrupt things, to change things, to upset the, uh, upset what's happening in the service of things being better. 
Uh, and so I think that nines have a unique kind of power when they're real, when they've really done their work, they make great leaders because they're not coming from any kind of need or need for recognition or it's not all about them. And yet they're also putting themselves in the picture. Uh, as you said in one of yours, they're valuing themselves and their own point of view enough to recognize that uh, expressing their power has a very positive impact on the world around them. Mm. Very nice. What's your number one? Uh, my number one is love. And uh, I'll need, I think, a couple of minutes, if not a bit more, to explain what I mean by this. Um, the, hi the higher mental aspect for nines, or uh, the holy idea for nines, is called holy love. And, you know, in essence, like, the holy idea is a very high state in essence. And the, the holy idea is always the opposite of the fixation and type, which is the lower mental aspect of type, which for nine is indolence. Uh, so <clears throat> what love is in this sense, much, much higher sense than what we usually call love is the the very opposite of apathy and it's something that uh, you don't see very often in anybody i'm not talking about any kind of love at all i'm talking about what is sometimes described as the one love the the only true love there is which is not starting or finishing in us it's a spiritual thing that can't even be put into words. I would need to read uh, Rumi's poems here if I wanted to uh, tap into that. But nines, I mean, in, the, in an even higher state, they sometimes tap into that state and it's indescribable. Um, and th that is my number one for sure, because B, I used to have a spiritual mentor in my life who was extremely evolved and all the time in touch with that, that kind of love. And I believe he was a nine. So I can't even start explaining how inspiring that is for me. Uh, it, it, there are no words that can be associated to that and so i stay with this four letter word called love it's a love that comes from all three centers not only the heart it's the head the heart the body but also the higher aspects of all of them all the subtle bodies it's when the nine is totally inebriated by life and and in the molecular level but yet in total stillness and they are totally there with you but at the same time they are in the world but they are not of the world you you just sense that they are tapping into the greater reality so that is the most inspiring thing i see in nines when they they come back to essence you know, I really like our top five today because I do think it's very complimentary that yes. we had really different ideas, but they're all mm -hmm. true. And so it's good that we have a, a long list of positive qualities for nines to 
either see in themselves, value in themselves, or aspire to. Um, I do want to say one thing about your number one love as as being this higher aspect in a very special way that nines are are capable of, and especially you know it is their holy idea, holy love. But also, I think in in the in the Enneagram nine and the nine point is often associated with uh, in an archetypal way, something that that is true for all of us. Nine is a kind of foundational type in the Enneagram. There being nine numbers, it being at the top of the diagram. Uh, and it, it's archetypally associated with, and here I'm talking about the personality side, the, the lower aspect uh, with ignorance, as the Buddhists call it, or unconsciousness. It's this idea that nines fall asleep uh, and they fall asleep, especially to themselves and their own experience, which is uh, the only one that we can have uh, until we get to a much higher state. Um, but I think this is really important what you're saying about love, because in a way um, we're all unconscious, we all fall asleep to ourselves. And when we do the work to really achieve higher states of consciousness, uh, to, to get in touch with a greater spiritual reality, we get in touch with this idea that, that, all is love that god is love that that really what is it all about it's all about love which yeah. in some way is this kind of activated alive um no longer asleep fully energized ability to manifest uh what what the universe is all about which is love yeah 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 and that that is the one energy this love uh, behind uh uh, creation like the one reason why god created creation i think we are also talking about this here yes okay great great top five great interview and we thank you for listening uh, we ask you to join us again for our enneagram 2.0 podcast where we talk about all things enneagram <laughs>